Amen. Y'all pray for us. We sing. I've been hit with the old crud like everybody else. Um, hey, you know, we like to share, right? Everybody likes to share. Um, I was thinking as we was trying to decide which song to sing, and we're going to the Bible conference, and it was, I've been very encouraged this week. I don't know about you guys. I've been, I don't know, there's been something stirred up, you know. You got to do that or the water just settles, amen? And, uh, but it's been really good, and uh, the, the reason I believe we do this is not so we can chalk into the notch and say, I've been to another revival meeting, or I've learned something new. Um, but it's to help us as believers share the gospel. And uh, some of the best news that I know is that God hadn't quit saving people. Amen? I mean, look, you, you think about your neighbors and your friends and loved ones, and like, man, they're, they're a hopeless case. There ain't no such thing. There ain't no such thing. Is there anything too hard for God? Amen? Um, y'all pray for us as we sing. It's uh, contrary to what Derek said. This is an older song, um, not quite as young as the one he sang. But um, if you know it, you're welcome to sing with me. God saves old sinners. <laughs> the man on the street. And the rich in their palaces, the poor and unlearned, and the man of degree, they all have a soul in need of salvation, and they all have to come. so bad that I needed forgiveness was I so wrong that I could not be free see I wasn't some thief but I lived in sin's prison and I was as lost as a sinner could be and I am so glad God saves old sinners well I'm thrilled and amazed how he sets men free oh but the biggest surprise in redeeming old sinners is that he would save an old sinner like me I'm so glad that he saved an old sinner like me Let's hear from the word, Dr. Ansbaugh, you come share with us. It's been a great week, hasn't it? And uh, I'm looking forward to what the Lord's going to do tonight. Romans chapter 8, please. Romans chapter 8. I heard a preacher say many years ago that Paul said that 
Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And the preacher went on to say that if he can save the chief, he'll have no problem with the Indians. <laughs> and that's true. He can save the worst of sinners. He can save the least of sinners. But in order to be saved, you have to see yourself as a sinner. She said, I didn't come to call righteous, but sinners to repentance. They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. The Scottish evangelist James Stewart said that when a person gets saved, they have to see themselves as a sinner and only as a sinner. Aren't you glad that saints are made from sinners? Yeah. Out of losers, not from winners. Out of those who've fallen on their faces, last men in in all the races, Jesus comes a calling, not the risen, but the fallen, not the strong and the succeeding, but the broke and bruised and bleeding. Is that you, my friend? Is that you? He will not receive you if you stubbornly conceive you have no need of being pardoned, if your mind and will are hardened. But if you will now confess that you are something so much less than he designed your life to be, you're on your way to being free. Let's break the trend, my friend. Let's break trend. Before we get into the word tonight, I just want to say thank you to this church for their hospitality. There are several things that I like. When I go to a church, there are several things that immediately connect me to that church. I like a church that's friendly. You know, my sister one time was looking for a church and drove up and parked in the parking lot on Wednesday night and a deacon came running out and said, you can't park here. We're having church tonight. <laughs> and she said, I know. We were planning on visiting your church. And he went, oh. You know, that church wasn't used to having visitors. You know, you, visitors are never a threat. They're an opportunity. And you have loved on us in a very friendly kind of way. You've not seen us this week as a threat, but a new opportunity to have new friends. Yeah. We're thankful for that. That's a good mark of a good church. I've said a lot about the singing, but if you can't preach after that kind of singing, there's just something wrong with you. <laughs> something wrong with you. You don't have to, like, paddle this thing back to life when you get back up. It's, it starts out of the gate on fire. And you just got to fan flames that are already ignited in worship. I would want to go to a singing church. And then even though I've never heard your pastor preach, I can tell he is a preacher by the way that you've responded to preaching this week. You can tell a church is accustomed to preaching and a church it's not. Right. You know, sometimes you look at a, you go stand in public, say open your Bible, and people look at you like a calf looks at a new gate. You know, they have, they've never seen anything like that before. But this is a church that has been built and is accustomed to the word of God being proclaimed and being proclaimed rightly. And those are three awesome qualities. So uh, this is a good church. And it's been my pr privilege to establish new friendships and to be a part of it this week. Thank you for the invitation, Pastor. I've enjoyed every bit of it. Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh but they that are after the spirit the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. 
For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Let's pray together. Father, we love you tonight. We thank you for the privilege once again to open your word and find out what it has to say. Lord, please fill me with your spirit. Help me, Lord, to present the word of God in the way that it ought to be presented. Lord, I pray that you'll be with those who've come to listen. Help, Lord, my transmission of the meaning of the text to be accurate tonight. And Lord, I pray that you'll do in our hearts this evening exactly what you desire to do. And we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I teach probably about six classes at the college. The class that I enjoy teaching the most, my bread and butter class, is Romans. I have two sections of Romans. I teach each lecture twice in a week, and I love the book of Romans. In the opening section of Romans, chapter 1, verse 18 through chapter 1, verse 32, Paul talks about the guilt of humanity. Every single one of us are born guilty. There's not a person who comes in the world who is not guilty before God. The wrath of God, Paul says, is being revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men who are suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. Because of the guilt that we have, Paul talks in chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, that God is just in being wrathful against our sin. Wrath is a biblical conception of God. Now, we don't like to think about that, but any God that you have in your mind that is devoid of wrath against sin is not a biblical God. The God of the Bible is just in being wrathful against our sin. So when we get to chapter 2, verses 12 through chapter 3, verse 20, Paul talks about the inadequacy of the law. In other words, God's mad at me because of my sin, and I can't atone for that by the good things that I do. I can't get right with God by walking old ladies across the street, giving pints of blood to the Red Cross, and buying Girl Scout cookies. Because if I do that, then I'm always going to wonder, how many old ladies? And how many pints of blood? And how many boxes of Girl Scout cookies? And do I buy the Savannahs or the Thin Mints? You understand that every single time it's up to working to get yourself saved, you're in the bondage of wondering how much is enough to appease that holy God. So when Paul gets to chapter 4, well actually 321 and following, he talks about the fact that the only way that you and I can get right with God is not by working of any kind, but by faith alone. By doing, turning from any work and effort that we do on our part, and putting our total trust and faith in what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. For when Jesus died on that cross, he said, it is finished. Everything that was necessary to procure your salvation and mine was done in that finished work of Jesus Christ upon Calvary's cross. And if I could save myself, there was no reason for God to send his son to die for me. So Jesus did for me what I could never do for myself. And this is what distinguishes Christianity from every other religion on the face of the earth. Religion is man trying to do something to gain the favor of a holy God. Christianity is God doing for man what man could not do for himself. And all I have to do, there's only one rule you got to keep to be saved, and that's abandon all rules and turn to Jesus. And accept what he did on the cross as the full payment for your sin. So far, so good. We understand for most of us that that's all I need to do to get right with God is I need to abandon my own effort and trust Jesus and all the peace that comes in that of knowing that Jesus paid it all and all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain and he washed it white as snow. We often believe that we're justified by faith, but here's something that's weird. After we get saved, then we feel like, okay, now I know I got saved and I'm on my way to heaven by abandoning all work, but now I feel like I got to please God by working my full self to death. So I believe that we can put this in Bible terminology. We believe that we're justified by faith, but then we abandon that and we think that we're sanctified by our own works. And that's a problem. 
Paul addresses this not only in Romans, he addresses it in Galatians too. When he writes to the church at Galatians, he said, are you so foolish, Greek word, more, are you so moronic that you believe that having begun in the spirit, you are now made perfect by the deeds of the flesh? Do you think really that, that now that you are saved, you've still got something in you that you can give to God to help make up for any deficiency in God? How crazy is this? It is foolish for us to try to make ourselves spiritual by what we do. If we're going to be spiritual, it has to be through what God is going to do in us and through us. So let's explore that tonight from several points. First of all, think with me about the position of the believer. The position of the believer. We see that in the first two verses of this chapter. If you're in the habit of marking your Bible, I would mark those words in verse number one, no condemnation. Those are important words. No condemnation. And then in the verse two, I would mark the words, hath made me free. No condemnation hath made me free. You get this? You're not condemned. You're free. Okay, you can't be an Eeyore and think about this. If you're thinking about this, you can't, you know Eeyore, don't you, Winnie the Pooh? Do you see any cake? Do you see any candles? Neither do I. Nobody cares. You know, that's Eeyore. These concepts are not Eeyore concepts. These are Tigger concepts. <laughs> when you get a hold of this, it completely revolutionizes the way you look at things. I'm not condemned. I'm free. When I pastored in Philadelphia, I had Bible studies in the Trenton jails. And there was a fellow in there who I led to Christ during the Bible studies in the Trenton jail. His name was Jeff, too. And one time, Jeff finally got out of jail. He had paid his debt to society. And I was there. I, I got him back together with his wife who had divorced him. I got them remarried again and their marriage restored. And you see, Jeff was just a different person. And the reason why is because now there was no sentence of condemnation over his head that had been paid. And that day when Jeff walked out into the free air of Trenton, out of that Trenton City Jail, it was just like, oh, the smell of freedom. There was no condemnation. I have been made free. Oh. But what happened to Jeff Queen happened to you spiritually if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Everything that the law said about you that condemned you, that incarcerated you, that held you bound, that has been paid. All of God's justice has been paid in its entirety. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus because you have been made free. Wow. I don't know if you've ever been in debt before, but it can be disconcerting. When I moved from Georgia to Rhode Island, my house in Georgia did not sell immediately. And so I didn't have any cash to put the down payment on a house. And so what the deacons did in Rhode Island is they said, they were pretty decent businessmen, and they said, what we're going to do is we're all going to get together and we're going to we're going to loan you interest-free money to put a down payment on a house. Not the church. Us deacons personally are going to do this for you. Well, you understand at every deacons meeting at the beginning of that, <laughs> you know, because I owed every man in that room until that house in Georgia sold. And I tell you, as soon as I went to closing on that house in Georgia, before I went to McDonald's, I wrote a check to every one of those deacons and paid them off. And it was just like, whew, the burden of my heart had rolled away. I didn't owe them deacons one thin dime after that household. When Jesus went to the cross of Calvary, he paid every bit of indebtedness that I had at the bank of heaven. 
and all the burden of that debt and wondering where I stood with God was rolled completely away. This is, some, this is my position. When I went to Tennessee Temple, you know, years ago when dinosaurs were walking the earth, um, I worked at the campus radio station. Now, to give you an idea of how to the right that format was at that station, I mean, that was the most conservative music I've ever heard. It wasn't even conservative fresh. It was conservative stale. I mean, it was... It was just like, you know, you heard about the song leader who's raising his hand to lead the congregation. There's a cobweb here with a spider, and the pastor leans over and says, maybe we should sing some faster songs. You know, that was what that was like, okay? But it was my job to listen to music that had been given to us to see if it fit our format. And at that time, rap music was just coming out. And I'm not even talking about this new rap stuff. It was the old rap stuff. So I listened to this first. It was the first ever Christian rap album that ever came out. It was called Bible Break. And I don't remember much about that album, and we couldn't even use it in our format, but I can still remember the lyrics, and here's the lyric. I'm a winner, not a loser. I'm a head and not a tail. If the prison door is open, my friend, what you doing in jail? Because Jesus paid your bail. Okay, now here's the point. Every bit of money, and Jesus did more than pay you bail. I mean, it's even more than that. He satisfied all of the legal demands against you so that there is no moral indebtedness to God at all. All the relief of owing God is completely done. There is no condemnation. You are made free. That's your position. Now, if that don't light your fire, your wood is wet. <laughs> Brings us to our second point. Not only does Paul outline the position of the believer as being free, but notice, secondly, the power of the believer in verses 3 and 4. At the very moment you were freed from the law, there was another controlling entity that went into your life. And the new controlling entity, according to verse number 2, is the Spirit. And moreover, not only is he called the Spirit, but he gets very specific here and he calls him the Spirit of life. So with regard to the believer, what has been replaced in your person is God replaced a law with a life. Now this is absolutely significant. Paul has been saying throughout the previous chapter in Romans 7 some mighty impressive things about the law. He said that the law is holy, chapter 7, verse 12. He said that the law is spiritual, chapter 7, verse 14. He said that the law is good, chapter 7, verse 16. The law is holy, the law is spiritual, the law is good. Nothing wrong with the law. The law came from God. How could there be something wrong with the law? The law came from God. Nothing wrong with the law per se. But here's the problem. There's something wrong with this dude. Nothing wrong with the law. There's something wrong with my ability to be able to keep that law. And that's why he says in chapter 8, verse 3 here, that the law is weak. Now, why is the law weak? The law is weak because Jeff is weak. Okay, I get this, Okay. You heard people say that when God passed out athletic ability, I was at the end of the line. I was not at the end of the line. I was not even in the counting. I cannot beat my way out of a wet paper bag. When I was in school, they'd line kids against the wall, and they'd pick people for teams, and it always came down to me and the fat kid. And then they'd look long and hard, and they'd pick the fat kid. Okay, Asball, we're stuck with you. They invented positions for me, like deep roving right field. It was on the other side of the home run fence. <laughs> if that team was counting on me to make any significant contribution to winning, they were messed up. There's nothing wrong with basketball. There's something wrong with Jeff's ability to play basketball. You follow this? It, the game's not weak. The game's weak because I'm playing it. That's the idea here. 
So you understand that there's nothing wrong with the law of God. There's just something wrong with my ability to keep that law of God. Our flesh is not strong enough to enact what the law demands. The law, therefore, is good in pointing out what's wrong. <laughs> you ever have like an English teacher in school that was 137 years old? I mean, it'd take that long to get that meme. You know, and she's like, she's like, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. Well, the Bible says that's exactly what the law was. The law was a schoolmaster. It was a pedagogos. It was a wrist slapper. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not. Thou, I can't learn this. You know, that's what the law does. The law was a schoolmaster to lead you to Christ. It was to get you so frustrated with yourself, and you know, I can't do this, that you would turn to somebody to help you do it because you know you can't do it by yourself. So the law cannot facilitate improvement. never was designed to facilitate improvement. It never offered the power to change you. It just was there to put a standard there so you knew you can't do this thing called Christianity or spirituality by yourself. You need some help to be able to do that. Now the help that he talks about that's been given to us, the power to do that, is found in the spirit of God who lives inside of you. You think about it, the law is, in, is external, the law is impersonal, the law is lifeless. But then the spirit moves inside of yourself, and the spirit's completely opposite. He is internal, he is personal, and he is vital. So now you understand, you've got so much more than a rule book when you became a Christian. You got much more than just this sterile code of ethics that's been handed down to you in a Bible from the third heaven. Now you have more than regulations, you have a relationship. And that relationship with you that you have with God, that union that you have with God, actually provides the ability to do what you did not have the ability to do prior to the Holy Spirit moving into your life. Law has been replaced with life. And the advice that the Spirit gives you helps you with every contemporary issue that you face today. There was nothing that you face today, spiritually speaking, that the Spirit of God could not help you with. But more to the point, the Spirit is the power to live that life effectively. Let's go back to me, okay, the terrible basketball player. Okay, there's several ways that people can say that we can help you, okay? First thing we're going to do is we're going to give you a book. Basketball for Dummies, okay? And we'll give you a book, okay? So now I understand basketball, but it still doesn't help me play any better. I says, okay, what we're going to do is we're going we're to bring John Wooden back, and we're going to make John Wooden your coach, okay? That helps even a little bit more because now I have a person Rather than just a book, this person is seeking to motivate me. But what if someone told me, we're going to bring Michael Jordan basketball ability when he was in his prime, and we're going to infuse Michael Jordan's basketball playing ability into you. And Michael Jordan is now going to live through you. Well, dude. I don't even need the book or wooden no more. You follow this? I got the life. Okay, so this is what God did for you. God did drop a Bible from the third heaven, and you have it. And God actually brought his Holy Spirit to say, this is what this means, this is how you do it, this is how you set the play, this is how you run it. But God did more than that. God said, I'm going to move inside of you, and I'm going to help you play. And my life is going to be your life, so you're going to be able to score spiritually because I'm living inside of you. I will be your power. So, wow. Okay, now I see what my position is. I see what my power is to play that position. Now, thirdly, let's think about the priority of the believer in verses 5 through 9. In this context, Paul mentions two antagonists that are diametrically opposed to one another. And the two antagonists are the flesh and the spirit. Now, up to this point in chapters 1 through 7, chapters 1 through 7, Paul has mentioned the Holy Spirit four times. 
four times in, in, in seven chapters. After chapter 8, verses 9 through 16, he's going to mention the Spirit eight times. So four times prior to this chapter, eight times after this chapter. But in this chapter, he's going to mention the Holy Spirit 21 times. Okay. This should be rather Captain Obvious, okay? It's like, the Spirit's a big deal here. Whatever's going down in this chapter, the Holy Spirit is a big deal about what's being discussed. We're beginning to understand that the Spirit, therefore, in living the Christian life has to be our priority. And specifically, he is our priority in overcoming our own flesh. Now get this. There is a personal devil out there. No one's denying the existence of the devil. And there's the external pressure of the world. We know the pressure of the world's out there. But I got to be honest with you. The dude that gives Jeff Ansball the most trouble living the Christian life is the dude that he sees in the mirror every morning when he's shaving. That dude has done more to sack my Christianity than just about anybody I know. He's done more than the devil. He's done more than the world. My own stinking Adamic flesh has given me more trouble than the world or the devil ever did. So I need something to help me whoop the devil, and I need something to help me whip the world. But more than anything, I need somebody to help me whoop me. I hope this is making sense. And it's interesting here that the depth of decadence is not the issue. If you're in the flesh, and it doesn't matter how deep or how shallow you're in the flesh, if you're in the flesh, he says you can't please God. Regardless of how well you look on the outside, how you dress up and you know, do the fall, come to church, if you've got carnality underneath the surface, you're not pleasing to God. Indeed, verse 7 says that people in the flesh are at enmity against God. You can only be spiritual. Now, this only makes sense. We don't call it bodyality. We call it spirituality. So spirituality, by definition, is something that takes place in your spirit. And your spirit can only be right if it's with the Holy Spirit that this is done. Your flesh can never kill your sin. Legalism can cage the animal, but it can never kill it. Okay, this is only an illustration, and if it were true, it would not be an illustration. But let's say I can't stand pastor, okay? I actually like the man, but let's say that I can't stand him. And every time I get with him, I just blow my stack. He totes me. So I make up my, this rule that wherever he is, I'm not going to be. If, if, if he's at the pastor's fellowship, I'm not going because he irritates, he rubs me the wrong way. Okay, so it's not true. But let's say for sake of argument that it is. Okay, you understand? So I make up my mind that wherever Pastor Corey Sexton is, Jeff Answell is not. Now, what's the problem with this? Though I have not given my anger a chance to leap out, I still have it. You follow this? My rule has caged my anger so that my anger can't leap. And that's a good thing, but that ain't far enough. You see, legalism can cage whatever's going on in your life, but only the grace of God can kill it. Only the grace of God can make me actually like the man. Rules can keep me from manifesting my anger, but rules can't keep me from being angry. Only the grace of God can accomplish that in my life. So, okay, I live in Pensacola. I live near a beach. Let's say that I'm, I battle lust, so I'm never going to the ocean. Never going to the ocean, you know, because you know there's scantily clad women down there, and that's probably a good rule. And let's say that I battle lust. So I'm not going to own a TV, and I'm not going to own a computer, and I'm not going to do this, and I'm not, okay. I still got lust. I've caged it, so don't leap out. That's okay. That's not far enough. For that to be eradicated, 
I've got to rely on the grace of God to do this. When I was in the Trenton jail, Bible studies years ago, the guy asked if he could talk to me afterwards. And I said, sure. He said, Ron, he said, you know, I shouldn't tell you this. I'm not allowed to tell you this. But I'm in here for rape. And he said, I keep trying to have victory, but I'm not having victory. I wonder if you can help me. I said, I'll try. Tell me how you're trying to get victory. He said, I keep telling myself, don't think about women. Now, you got to be careful how you do this. But I looked at that convicted felon, and I said, you're an idiot. Whoa, 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 what do you mean? Whoa, 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 what do you mean? I said, okay, let's say I'm battling donuts. And I say, I will not think about donuts. I will not think about chocolate. Cream-filled donuts. Okay, you understand? At the very moment, I'm renouncing that thing. I'm putting the thought back in my head. Answer the clue phone. You're not going to get victory that way. That is actually bringing to the surface that which should be killed. You've got to do replacement. You understand that you have to mortify the deeds of the flesh. And the priority then is the spirit. The spirit has to help with that. It is only through the spirit that I have life and peace. Prior to that, my fleshly mind, he says, could not submit to the spirit of God. Now, here's the deal. If you are saved, he says in chapter 8, verse 9, you have the Spirit. There is no such thing as a Christian who doesn't have the Holy Spirit. If any man does not have the Spirit of Christ, he says he's none of his. Every single Christian got the Holy Spirit. No such thing as a Christian without the Holy Spirit. And then later, he's going to describe that Spirit as the Spirit of God, verse 9, and then describe him later as the Spirit of Christ. Here's the point. God himself and the person of Jesus Christ lives inside of you by virtue of his Holy Spirit. You have the triune God living inside of you. Now, there's no way that you should be out there attempting to do for yourself what only God can do. Only God, there's only one person who's ever walked this earth, who's ever lived the Christian life perfectly, and it's Jesus Christ, and he lives inside of you. Let him live his life through you. Amen. We'll never be successful until the Spirit has priority. So your position is you're free. You have power to live that life in this position through the Holy Spirit, and therefore you have to make the Spirit your priority in your Christian life. It's not... Cigarettes is not your issue, or drinking's not your issue, or lust is not your issue, or financial restraint is not your issue. Your issue is you haven't prioritized the Spirit of God in your life. Which brings us to our last point, which is the provision for the believer in verses 10 through 13. This all having been said, then, the goal is not for me to be more Jeff-controlled. It's for me to be spirit-controlled. Even when I'm self-controlled, it's because it's a fruit of the spirit. The fruit of the spirit is self-control. The more the spirit controls my life, the less fleshly I will be. We have to recognize that it is our relationship with the spirit that whips the flesh. And if you get a hold of this, it will completely revolutionize your life. Victory will not be this obscure, elusive thing in your life if you recognize the power that the Holy Spirit provides for you. And to illustrate this, he talks about the fact that it was the Spirit who raised up Jesus from the dead. Now think about this. What does sin do? Sin is a killer. The wages of sin is death. For 30 plus years, my dad worked at the Empire Detroit steel plant in my hometown. And frequently, I would go with my dad to the steel plant. They didn't have direct deposit back then. I'd go with my dad to the pay office to pick up his paycheck. And my dad walked in there and he said 48088. That was his clock number. Without the slightest hesitation, boom, there was his paycheck. My dad never went in there and said, pretty please, with sugar on top, if it's not too much trouble, could I please have my paycheck? It never went like that. It was 48088, boom, there was his paycheck. Why? Because he worked for it, he deserved it, he earned it, he merited it, it was what was coming to him because of what he did. Well, the Bible says that the wages of sin, what's coming to us because of what we've done, is death. 
don't know about you, but that's pretty severe. We used to have a lady in one of our previous ministries who said, we could have been killed or even worse. <laughs> I don't know what's worse than dying. Okay, so if death is the great final enemy, who's gonna who can backlog all of that? Well, you're, we're Christians. Fundamental Christianity is the belief that the Holy Spirit raised that Jesus from the dead. Now get this. Everybody that had been raised prior to Jesus was raised by dependent power from somebody else, and they died again. Poor Lazarus, it was appointed unto him twice to die. You know. But Jesus was the first person who was raised by his own power never to die again. Now get this. This is why Jesus said, there's no sign going to be given you but the sign of the prophet Jonah. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so I'll be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus said, you don't need anything else to prove Christianity if you believe that I walked out of the tomb on the third day under the auspices of my own power. It's not like people are standing outside the tomb after he walked in and said, gee, I wonder what else he can do. No. If you can stand up out of your own casket, under your own power, you don't have to do anything for an encore. All right? So Jesus has already taken that which sin has done in its worst ravages, and Jesus has completely reversed it. He has completely whooped what sin's final product is. And now that same spirit who raised him from the dead, is the dude who lives inside of your mortal body. <laughs> this body's mortal, man. I can attest that I'm facing the bees of old age. Bunions, bifocals, bridges, bursitis, and baldness. I got it all. <laughs> the countdown's getting lower every day. But someday when I breathe my final breath and the doctor takes one look and says, you're dead, the truth is going to finally be revealed. I tell you, children, death ain't no big deal. Because what sin could do in all of its ravage has already been completely reversed by the person and work of Jesus Christ by virtue of the Holy Spirit who raised him from the dead. And that means that not even death itself can separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Even when sin does its worst, even when it reaches its great havoc, when it thinks that it's left at me in one you. God says, wait a minute. Resurrection time. And God quickens that which is dead. What a wonderful thing. Okay, so this is analogous to Joshua. You're going to win. You're a Christian. You're going to win. So here's the deal. You're not fighting for victory. You're fighting from victory. You've already got victory. You've already had it through Jesus Christ. So now what you have to do is you have to get up and live according to the victory that you already have. It's not rocket science. Okay. Back in 1987, I stood at a marriage altar in Warwick, Rhode Island, and the pastor, Sam Strickland, said, And now by the authority invested in me as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I now pronounce you husband and wife. You are no longer two but one. You may kiss the bride. I did. He turned both of us and he said, Ladies and gentlemen, it is my distinct privilege to present to you Mr. and Mrs. Jeffrey Anspaugh. And we walked out. And it said, look, we were married. But every day I've got to give up and I've got to live like what I am. I'm a married man. Now i got to live like a married man because I am a married man. You follow this? I remember when our oldest daughter, Ashley, was born. I walked down the hall there at Norristown Hospital, and I looked in the window, and I thought, my goodness, Asbel, you can't be a kid. you got a kid. I mean, when I married Karen, I didn't mature. I just had somebody else to play with. But, you know, when, when, I, when I had that first kid, it was like, dude, you can't be a kid. You're a dad. 
Okay, you're a dad. That's settled. Then you've got to act like a dad. You can't act like what you used to be because you're not that. When I tell a man, quit acting like a baby, I don't mean that he is biologically a baby. I mean you used to be a baby. Quit acting like what you used to be and act like what you are. Okay, so this is what you used to be. You used to be under the bondage and tyranny of sin. You used to listen to your own fleshly dictates. You used to do everything that your stupid bodily urges told you to do. You don't have to live that way anymore. Imagine if one of our college graduates at the college, two years after graduation, gets a knock on their front door from someone who used to be their RA and says, I noticed you didn't make your bed this morning. You know what they're going to say to that dude? Get out of my yard. I don't have to listen to you anymore. You're not my boss anymore. You're not in charge anymore. I got a parchment in my hand that says, I don't have to listen to you. Vamos. Get out of my yard. Okay. You say, man, if he, that kid wouldn't make his bed when he's not even under the tyranny of that boss anymore, that would be stupid. Exactly. And it's just as stupid for you to listen to your flesh because your flesh ain't in charge anymore. You've graduated. You're beyond that. Keys it goodbye. It's merely a matter of letting God crowd out everything else in your life. That's all it is. It's allowing the controlling interest. of This is why this whole Bible conference is centered on the Holy Spirit. He brought us into the presence of God. The Holy Spirit said, I'll abide with you forever. He walks with us along the road. He's given us pictures to show us how important he is. Why? Because you can't do this thing without him. So when he becomes the consuming interest of your life, other things just fade into oblivion. Let me close with this. One of my pastor friends in Connecticut, Jim Poundsley, went to Tennessee Temple for one simple reason. He heard that if he went to Tennessee Temple, he could get a basketball scholarship and probably play basketball a few times. He had no desire to study. He had no desire to learn. He wasn't even saved. He just wanted to play basketball. And so he showed up. He got a basketball scholarship. He was admitted to school. The first week they had opening revival, and the preacher got up and preached the simple gospel message of Jesus Christ that he, Jim recognized he was a sinner, that he was on his way to hell. He couldn't save himself. Jesus died on the cross to save us from sins. And all he had to do was in simple faith take a hold of what Jesus did on the cross. And Jim Townsley walked forward in that opening revival before the first basketball game was ever played. And he gave his heart and mind and life to Christ. When God moved into Jim Townsley's life, and that's exactly what happens to everything... He got on fire for God. He started reading his Bible. He started taking as many Bible classes as he could. And it was halfway through the basketball season before he even recognized, I didn't go out for the team. He went there to play for that team. But he's halfway through the semester and he recognized, I didn't even show up for tryouts. I don't even care about basketball. When did this happen? It happened when he allowed Christ to dwell in him richly. And when Christ dwells in you richly, peripheral things just kind of go. And basketball really doesn't mean all that much to the man who had it as his idol when he has a new God sitting on the throne. Okay, what's your basketball? What's your thing that if I lost this, my year would be over? Okay. What does God need to crowd out of your life? Remember the old westerns? This town ain't big enough for the two of us. Okay. This heart ain't big enough for the two of you. No man can serve two masters. For if you will love the one and hate the other or hold to the one and despise the other, you can't serve God and you fill in the blank. So God's saying, here, I've lifted your condemnation. I've made you free so you don't have to listen to that junk anymore. Okay, great. 
And I've not only given you a new position, but I've given you the power to play that position. But you'll only cap into that power if you allow me to be the priority of your life. And if I am the priority of your life, you'll be amazed at what I can provide you with. You'll be amazed at what I can put into your tank if you'll recognize the emptiness that is there right now and let me fill you up. Okay. So you're going to let that happen? Are you going to just continue to walk through the rest of your existence kind of mediocre in your Christianity, kind of flipping and flapping and floundering from one thing to another, wondering why, you, and then pillowing your head at night, wondering why you're the idiot that you are? Or are you going to allow God to just move in and take over. He paid for you. Is he getting what he paid for? So let him. And when you let him, it's like, eh, I end with this. Remember the dude in the jail that told me, I tell myself, quit thinking about women. And I told him, you're an idiot. I shared with him what I just shared with you. Three weeks later, he comes up to me in the jail and he says, dude, Rev, he said, it's been three weeks and I ain't even thought about women. You know why? There wasn't room for that. Somebody crowded all of that out. And when God fills you up, there's just not room for the trash. Because it's all about him. Let's bow for prayer. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, we're doing business with God, and maybe the Holy Spirit has signaled something in your life, maybe some vice over which you can't get victory, some priority that's skewed, some particular thing about your Christianity that you wonder why this debilitating thing keeps raising its ugly head. And you recognize it's because you've made room for it. And you would say tonight, Pastor I recognize that I need to be full of God this evening. If God's spoken to you about that and you'd like for me to pray with you, just raise your hand. I'm not coming to embarrass you for the world. I just want to pray with you. Yes, God bless you. You know, let me just back up just a little bit before I turn this over to preacher night. You understand, don't you, that if you have never come to the old rugged cross and they're admitted that you were a sinner and only a sinner, and trusted exclusively in what Jesus did that there as a full payment for your sin, you don't even have this person inside of you to help you live effectively. It'll always be fleshly because there's nothing to counteract it. You need God's spirit to live effectively. So if nothing else, you, you, you can't even play this game until you invite the person in who's going to give you the power to play it. And maybe you're here tonight and you say, Pastor, I just don't know for sure that I'm saved. I'd like to know more about that. I, I want you to pray with me that I will understand better my need of salvation and call upon God to save me so that I can live a better existence and quality of existence than the one I'm living right now. If you're unsure about that and God spoke into your heart, no one's looking but me, would you just raise your hand? I'd be glad to pray for you tonight. Pastor, I'm just not sure I'm saved. I'd like to know for sure I'm saved. Anyone like that tonight? Father, we love you. We thank you for your wonderful intervening grace that rescues us from ourself. Lord, I pray that you'll help me and those who've listened tonight to not be so foolish, having begun with the Spirit, to walk in the energy of the flesh. Help us, Lord, to be so full of you, there's no room for anything else. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? Is there anything in your life that you need victory over? Anything that's commanding more attention than it should? Any priority that is drawing you away or dividing your attention, splitting your heart, would you come and give it to the Lord?
had someone tell me recently engaging in behavior that is not healthy for the Christian and they said it doesn't matter I, it won't change what I think about the Lord I said but what does he think about you Brother Amsby said that he bought you is he getting what he paid for my what a thought Father, I pray you do a work in our hearts tonight. I thank you for the wonderful truths that we've heard this week. Help us, Father, to meditate on those truths. Lord, I pray you'd work in Jesus' name. So good, so good. And I pray tonight that as we always ask, that don't just walk out of here and forget what you heard tonight. But meditate on these truths, Lord. Think on them. Ruminate on them. Let them work in your heart. And uh, I'll be praying for each of you as we do. Uh, I hope that uh, you have all um, been as blessed asleep as I have um, uh, Brother Amsby, I thoroughly enjoyed everything that, that the Lord has allowed you to accomplish here this week and uh, enjoyed spending time with you. And I'm going to have uh, he and Miss Karen go to the, to the back back there so you can get to them and uh, thank them and love on them a little bit and try not to occupy all of their time so everybody can get to them. I know how that is sometimes, uh, but we're so thankful that they came and uh, we're going to do our best to have him back next year again and and just uh, build ourselves a little relationship because I'm very thankful for his work. Uh, so thank you for being here tonight, and uh, I, I look forward to seeing you uh, Sunday morning. Prayer lists were produced today, and uh, I'm dependent upon you to take those prayer lists home and pray over them. Uh, you are uh, good believers, and you know how to pray. And the effectual prayers of a righteous man availeth much. And so you take those lists and pray over them. Next week we'll get back on our regular schedule. But I'm thankful for the interruption we had this week. Amen. And so, uh, so good to see you tonight. And uh, But Steve, if you don't mind, I'm going to ask you to dismiss us in prayer, sir. Thank you for being with us tonight.
discharge and discharge family, Lord. And I ask God that the Spirit of God continue to move here. The messages continue to be preached and souls and lives changed because of all to your glory, for your kingdom. So Lord, we thank you so much for just allowing us to be here tonight. And I pray for safe travels home for all as we go our separate ways. And may your sweet spirit cover the homes of each and every one. May you guard them and protect them with a hedge of protection that only you have. 